Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! It's Kane! It's Kane! Mm. It's Kane! By God, yeah, King! <laughs> the I've big red monster! Got, I've already got those jokes lined up, don't worry. Uh, I did, uh, when reading, when this came up, I was like, wait, isn't Sutter Kane the author of that fictional book in the Mouth of Madness? Is this about him? Yes. <laughs> it felt it felt like it could, it could exist in the same multiverse as uh, Sutter Kane ex- exists. If you see what I mean. No. Good. Good. Clarity. Who needs it? Right. Hello. Welcome to the show. I am Richard. Wave, wave, wave. With me to make the podcast is Abigail. Hello. Uh, and Anthony. Hello. Wave, wave, wave. Thanks. And Jamie. Yes, hello. Uh, yes, this week we are discussing the film Raising Kane, and it definitely needs clarity because even on the podcast we have watched different versions of the same film. So it doesn't really matter if you watch the director's cut or whatever cut the rest of us watched, but one of us didn't watch the right one, but only because he's in the minority. If he, if we three of us had watched his version, he'd be smug. But anyway, <laughs> beating around the bush, uh, Jamie, what film did we watch and who made it and what what version should we have watched? We watched Raising Cain. From 1992, directed by Brian De Palma and starring John Lithgow and a bunch of TV actors nobody cares about. <laughs> um, it, it, there, there's nobody's in this, and, and John Lithgow um, has most of the roles. In fairness, yes. Um, also, eats the majority of the scenery until there's barely anything left. <laughs> <laughs> um, the oncologist wife of a prominent child psychologist suspects her husband has an unhealthy scientific obsession with their child, unaware of what or who is really going on inside his head. Who, I, that's, who is going on? <laughs> that's not... Uh, okay, we'll get into it. <laughs> that mm-hmm. summary feels misleading. It's the film Split or Fight Club, but different. That's how I describe it. But yeah, John Lithgow is a person in a film with multiple things going on. John Lithgow is several people in one person in a film by Brian De Palma that offers a very sensitive portrayal <laughs> of mental <laughs> <laughs> Quite. <laughs> very understanding and it yeah. definitely gets it. It gets yeah. uh, schizophrenia completely. It, it's very... It's, it's very... Uh, yeah, like I said, it's very sensitive in its handling of a very controversial mental health issue. If anything, it's too woke, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Could have done with being a bit more offensive. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, I mean, other than not mentioning the TV actors that you don't care about, that's... Well, that's... okay, they, it's, they, ha- they have been in other things, and I'm being, a, I'm being a bit of a shit to these actors, but... The actor who plays the wife, Lolita Davidovich, and then uh, the guy who plays the guy that she has an affair with, Jack, Stephen Bauer, are just... And I don't know if it's the film itself or or just their performances, but they're so unlikable. And then whenever you find out the origins of their relationship, they become 
Bristol were sympathetic. Mm. Well, that's no excuse. They still acted. <laughs> like just anyway, we that one. The thing is, there is a director's cut which puts things in a different order, isn't there? Yes. But we, um, we being Jamie, Abby, and Rich, we all watched the original theatrical ver- version. Yes. 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 And Anthony, through probably no fault of his own, watched the director's cut, which Anthony, you were saying, puts things in a different order, and it's 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 not linear in your version. Is that right? Yeah, like I I, I literally only found this out before the podcast because I was looking at the trivia, and it said there was a director's cut that it started with um, uh, the wife's story first, and I was like, but but the wife's story was first. What does that mean? Um, so, yeah, so the, the version I watched is not told in chronological order, uh, whereas I guess the theatrical one largely is, um, it's I got, assume. It's got a weirdly cold open now that you me- now that you say, oh, there was a, be- a different version where they sort of play with the suspense a bit more. Ours was like, so yeah, this is weird. John Lithgow's a, a creepy, sneezy man who is going to chloroform a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what the f- like we don't even know what's happening in already. Yeah, like it we're, does. It you know. thrusts you in. Um, the interesting thing about that director's cut is that it was a fan cut, and mm. Brian De Palma liked it so much that he made it the like he designated it the official director's cut. Apparently, the original screenplay was written that yeah. way, but but somewhere during production it got changed. I so would... that that was the original intent of it. Were they worried that it would be too dull if it started with the wife story? Because the wife story is very tedious. It is. But uh, at least in uh, in this version, there's a sense... There's definitely a sense of, okay, where's this going? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, I can imagine it in your cut coming like, you know, the, the second third of the film and it being like just stopping, just yeah. taking the whole focus away from this lunatic, interesting character and yep. then following like his really boring wife around for yeah. like his, half an hour. His, not only his boring wife, his boring wife who uh, seems to not like him because he loves their daughter too much. Yeah. And She's also so- she doesn't, pay any attention to their like three or four year old daughter at all. <laughs> but she's and still miffed about she, it. And then she's having an affair she has an affair with someone. Uh and fuck it. I don't know when when we want to get into it, but the the origins of the affair just made me just furious. Because like <laughs> how am I how are we supposed to sympathize with either of these characters? Like it basically just turns John Lithgow's character characters into the good guy, because <laughs> it's like, oh, he's fucked from several different directions. Then this is stuff a bit deeper into the film. Maybe we need to give our thoughts of what we're expecting first. But yeah. the, my 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 takeaway from this like middle middle for us section, uh, beginning for Anthony was. Where the, who's this woman who buys fucking clocks for the men in her life? <laughs> the fucking who wants a shitty clocks? Like the sort of shit you'd get for starting a Sun Life plan for the over fifties. It's like what? Well, what a fucking shitty clock! No one does. We've got fucking watches. It's the, the modern day. Like oh, it was the you modern need day. A watch. 
Well, yeah, I was going to say, you just look at your phone, but yeah, this is 92, I guess. Everyone had digital watches by then, you know? Like goodness. calculators on them. Yeah, not fucking weird uh, golden Roman numeral clocks. <laughs> fucking old lady clocks. What's <laughs> happening? Uh, and to make a plot point about it is very, like, weird. Oh. Anyway, let's rewind. Rewind back. Before all of the confusion and uh, misunderstanding and development of characters. Uh, Jamie, I guess you picked this. The main event was John Lithgow, and that was probably reason enough to pick it, but was there more to your... Let's look at this. I mean, it was... I I think all of us, probably, and a lot of people our age who grew up watching the absurd amount of television and films that we did... So, so other losers our age is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, Just tar us all with the same brush, it's fine. I mean, come on. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we most of us probably know John Lithgow as that guy from Third Rock from the Sun, or and you know because that's we everyone was assaulted by that throughout the nineties. It was um, the Big Bang Theory of its day. Well, it was better than that. It was better than. That. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's it's a pretty good sitcom. Yeah, if you're okay with mm. sitcoms. Like, I would never be able to watch a shitload of it in a row. But I used to watch it every now and again. And yeah, he was he was always very funny in it. And then years later, he popped up in Dexter, and there, there mm. was this there was this like people being like, oh, the guy from the Third Rock from the Sun's playing somebody creepy and, and it's it's weird. And then you actually look at his career and realise, oh, he's actually done that a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, but because he's this, he always seems, whenever he plays a normal person, he seems so friendly and likeable that it's fascinating to watch him play somebody sinister. And he's so good at it. Like, Yeah, it's, um, it's weird. He, I think he turns up in... Uh, Peaky Blinders as Churchill, and you're like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> like, they go, hmm, who do we get for Churchill? Yeah, there's so many actors and options. So many people have played him. Oh, yeah, the lanky guy from Third Rock from the Sun. Perfect. <laughs> Done. Let's <laughs> do it. seven foot tall beanpole from Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. Um, that was my main thing with it. It's not that I don't think he's got the chops. It's that Winston Churchill was not known for being a large man. He's, he, has, he hasn't well, like got the he jowls. Was, but- he was he was he known for being a large man. man horizontally rather than vertically. <laughs> <laughs> Movie magic, though, isn't it? Or TV magic. He, he was tall sideways. But, um... <laughs> That's what they said about him. <laughs> he was a husky gentleman. Um, but yeah, so it's I it, because of I cannot get that association with Third Rock from the Sun out of my mind. So I'm always interested in seeing him play someone sinister or weird or whatever. And I think the closest we've come to that before is a thousand years ago, whenever we did a commentary for Buckaroo Bonsai. Oh, yes. So long ago. Yes, he plays one of the weird alien villains. Hmm. Um, But no, he doesn't. He plays the scientist who goes insane. I mean, they're all insane aliens. Yeah, right? yeah. He plays a cartoon like everyone in that film. Yeah, well, he's all, um, he, he often plays... he often crops up as like comedy uh, yeah. side characters, and you, you know, usually. Anyway. So, uh, I 
I had some picks, and this was one of the ones that I've always heard of this film, but I've never really known very much about it. I mainly just know the cover because it's it like it's really. Um, I don't know if I saw it in video shops or whatever, um, and then I saw that it was Brian De Palma, and I I I feel like I always associate I always put Brian De Palma for some reason in the like in the same tier as people like Martin Scorsese, and then I look at his films and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, I think he is he's one of those lads. He's one of those. He's yeah, part of that group, he, but you he know. Makes... He makes very, like, he doesn't make necessarily prestige films. And I don't mean that as an insult. He's a he little makes... he's a little tackier. Although Scarface, yeah. I think, is a really great film. Like, Scarface is probably his best film. But like, even that is slightly tacky at times. Like, it's got, yeah. it's, he's a lot, especially the 80s stuff, makes, you know. He makes sort of high, high concept or high quality B movies, like he very and he seems to really embrace like the cheesiness of movies. Like he likes it. He's almost he's kind of like a cross between Scorsese and Sam Raimi. Like there's a there's yeah, he's like in hmm. he's in the space between them. Um, I also always forget that he directed the first Mission Impossible. And yeah. when you watch that film back, it is very over the top and cartoony. It's fucking great. It's, um, he's very much one of those people who is more concerned with really pushing what you can include, sex and violence, and he was about really seeing what you can get away with, because, you know, you look back at some of his stuff and you think, oh, it's not that, uh, none of it's really erotic, because all of the scenes that are meant to be an erotic, erotic in Brian De Palma movies are kind of mumsy and horrible, like they're slightly like... saxophone. Yeah, they could cheesy rather than yeah. actually saucy. But yeah, he's, he's got a, like you know everything he makes is. So he he's just he was trying to be a provocateur and not take you can't do that for an answer, you know. Yeah. And but also his his movies almost don't he doesn't take himself as seriously as some of the directors that I think are in a similar sort of tier or class. Yeah. It was very um, influenced by Hitchcock, which you could see in this film as well. This mm. film is full on. Um, it's and this uh, this is one of the things that I guess we'll get into. Like, um, it's it's so close to being a parody of Hitchcock thrillers, and I kind of wish it had pushed a little bit further into that. Well, I'll stick a, stick a pin in the word parody because it's very key to how you land on liking or disliking this film, I think. So I think that's yeah. going to be very important to enjoyment. But um, before we carry on too far, uh, Anthony, what did you know of this film before we watched it? Uh, only that it was directed by Brian De Palma and it had John Lithgow in and that I, I think Jamie stipulated that John Lithgow was a bit crazy. Um... <laughs> So uh, I was actually expecting something a bit more, like a more straightforward thriller coming into it. Um, uh, uh, that's that's about it, really. I mean, I have seen a lot of Brian De Palma things. Um, and I, I agree with Jamie, who's kind of summed it up perfectly, where he's kind of like the mid-spot between um, Martin Scorsese and Sam Raimi. Um so, 
I don't know. It still it still looked like a straightforward thriller. So that's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah. And well, then when, yeah. I, when I got more than that, it was somewhat of a delight. <laughs> well, this is the some, thing. Sorry. I was just going to say, the problem is, some of it is kind of a straightforward thriller, and that stuff isn't very good. Hmm. Well, it's very... That's, that actually is key to uh, how you approach this film, is it sets its stall out like, this is a thriller... We don't want to tip our hat yet that it's actually a kind of bizarre parody movie or comedy or... Like, you don't necessarily know going in it's going to take the piss. And for a good while in the movie, maybe depending on which cut you're watching, you're like, wait, is he seriously doing this? Because this is terrible. If he's serious with this, this is terrible. But if he's joking, this is hilarious. So, yeah. I w- like, you, you, you kind of... The poster, like you said, Jamie, it's like... it's It's memorable but in a kind of oh look this looks like a creepy thriller it doesn't tell you anything it doesn't give away that it's maybe a bit more than just some schlocky thrill ride or something it's just like fucking half photocopy face uh jonathan <laughs> head i don't know i think i i said while i was watching it in the the chat that this is almost because i mentioned sam raimi and i could almost see this as being one of his 80s in between Evil Dead movies with Bruce Campbell and John Lithgow's roles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, retconning, but sure. Yeah, it definitely. There were Raimi vibes. I'll, yeah, I'll beat you there. Mm. Uh, Abby, what about yourself? I didn't know anything about this. I saw the trailer and then went, "Yes, that's <laughs> the extent of my knowledge." <laughs> was it? Was it the fact that uh, you got a sense that? It was going to be a bit wacky, or what was it about in the trailer that you thought, oh, this looks good? I don't know how I picked up on it, but there was just some undercurrent to the trailer where I was like, there's some weird shit in this. I can smell it in the, in the DNA of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I maybe. Yeah, you, were, I mean, you were right, there was some <laughs> something weird about it. Uh, okay, m- myself... I'd recently been watching a few more of the missed out Brian De Palma. Like I've been, I've seen a bunch of his uh, films, De Palma's films. But I'd been like, oh, I'll fill in the blanks. Oh, what's Snake Eyes about? Oh, there's some good things and there's some terrible things. And like, there's loads of them. Where what was the other one I watched? It was like about stalking. Anyway, it doesn't double. body dressed double? To... No, dressed to kill. One of them, <laughs> but maybe both. I watched both of them. That's why I got confused. Oh my god, yeah, those are diff- different conversations for another time. But I'd been figuring out, basically, that not only is Brian De Palma a big fan of Hitchcock and, like, you know, takes a lot of the ideas and stuff, or does a lot of the etiquette that Hitchcock established, but Brian De Palma's a really, really solid director, like, composition of scenes and the way he plans camera shots, even in this, even though it's, like, really, uh, it's like a kind of shit B-movie t- TV film at times... He's really good at like panning shots. He's really in creative and ambitious with how he tries to capture uh, the film. He doesn't just like shit it out. He actually thinks about how can we film this in the coolest way, and he does that a lot. And I think he's really talented yeah. visually, but the thing, the projects he choose chooses are sometimes the the plot sort of is a bit too hokey. I thought it was, it's interesting that you brought up Snake Eyes because I think you also mentioned. Because I 
talked about how I could see this being like a Bruce Campbell vehicle, yeah. but you also said that it remi- it made you think of Nicolas Cage, which also, yes, yeah. this could have been a... <laughs> it could easily have been a Nicolas Cage thing, couldn't it? Yeah. yeah. All the way through, I was thinking, oh, if you did this a, a bit later, you'd have Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage would be perfect for like putting on dark sunglasses and playing a maniac and then flicking back to oh a coward God. and oh, then a wow. child. And he would be brilliant, wouldn't he? Mm. That's how you... Also- Oh my God! Him as Margot. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> John John Lithgow. John Lithgow is hard to trump because he is so amazing in this say, role. Not to take anything away from John Lithgow because he goes full fucking tilt into this role. Yeah, but you could easily see Nicolas Cage doing this justice. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, it's like Snake Eyes. It's like got this some shots within uh, a boxing arena. And it's just, wow, you're just watching it, you're watching characters and there's exposition and they're setting up things for later. And you're going, this is fucking great. This is really well directed, well shot. It's hugely, like like this film as well has scenes where lots of extras are doing stuff. And we're, we're, we're kind of travelling through, I think it's the police station in this, we travel through the police station, get a massive exposition dump. But, you yeah. know, it's not just ill thought out it's well planned i like the fact that the cops keep directing the woman who's giving the exposition yeah. dub where to go because she doesn't know and you know they're sort of filling us in on what yeah uh, a, the film thinks schizophrenia is it's yeah it's a really um i don't remember who put it like this it's in one of those like how to write a screenplay books or whatever um but it's I think the concept is called like the um, the Pope in the pool. If you search for it, you'll find an actual explanation of why it's called that. But it's the idea of if you have to give exposition, do it in a way where there's a lot of other stuff going on that isn't distracting, but also stops it from just being someone talking at you. Yeah. Like, make exposition active. Like yeah, and that's a perfect example of it. Is her giving exposition while they're taking her around the police station and yeah she keeps going in different directions so they're having to like put, like it's making something of yeah having having us see the cops reactions behind her back giving a sense of yeah. what they like you're telling us stuff and telling us the exposition so it's like this is a person like brian de palma ain't no fool he knows what he's doing and that is a that is one of the justifying reasons why this isn't the absolute worst piece of shit I've ever seen. Because the secret with this film is, in the wrong hands, it would have been fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe it's terrible anyway. I don't yeah. know. But hmm. like, well, I mean, it, on paper, it just it's. Well, I don't know. It, it it's what you said. Like, if if someone had directed this and took it too seriously then it would just be absurd. It already is absurd, but it would be, like, offensively absurd. (laughs) Yeah, like, the thing that Snake Eyes was bad was, oh, the plot got kind of stupid, and it started off with potential. But then this, I think people... The plot's stupid, but you might watch it and not... You might watch it and just go, wow, that was a thriller ride and a bit crazy. Gosh... How, how you you might go brilliant, or you might go that was so dumb, and then and there was a good chunk, like maybe forty minutes. I was like, is he fucking serious? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the acting is kind of ropey, and some of the reactions, some of the just some of it is like, 
what are you doing? Have you never made a film? But like, this is the most hack cliched rubbish I've ever seen. Oh, it's the most hack cliched rubbish I've ever seen. I like you get this. I got yeah, the joke, and then I started enjoying it. Yeah, it is almost like the problem with the film is not everyone making it is in on that joke. Maybe. Maybe that's because like the TV actory vibe. You go, or oh, maybe these people aren't capable of. Like they're not necessarily deliberately being shit. Maybe they are a bit shit. I don't know. What do I was you... going to put it more as they're playing it so straight some of the time that you don't. There's that you you need some kind of cue to know that it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I it's don't all, know if yeah. that's sometimes just someone's presence or charisma. It's like, tell all the regular actors to act their hearts out, and then we'll show through schlocky editing and storytelling. We'll make it unsound and music and... Like, you could have maybe brought it into being an okay TV movie if you'd have, like... Paired it back. I mean, there's some shockingly bad American dramas, so it could easily have been one, but this one is slightly better and slightly more knowing and then making a point of it. But, the, you know, in your scene, as an actor in a scene, you might just be trying and therefore. Almost almost a Hitchcock movie, but also almost a Hallmark or Lifetime yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I think it is trying, it's riffing off of that idea, isn't it? This, It's deliberately being schlocky and terrible. And so, but then it's like, do the actors are the actors just trying to make it in in the well, big movie world or not? Not to pointlessly bring it up because it is relevant, sort of. It is. It's kind of that same thing that for the original run, um, what David Lynch and Mark Frost were doing with Twin Peaks, like it's it's not a parody of soap operas, but a, almost like a love letter to them. But heightening that like soap opera acting and, and melodrama deliberately. Yeah, exactly. But again, in a similar way, there were times in that show where it's almost like the subtlety kind of just it just makes it a soap opera and there are moments where it gets kind of tedious and annoying. Yeah, it's and like is it is it that same problem. Is it a pastiche if you're doing it too accurately? Like if yeah. you're just making one, it isn't satire. But it so sometimes it was so subtle to the point. It was subtle to the point of people will just watch this and either think yeah. it's good or crap and not realize you were doing. So. And I think that is genuinely the big problem with Raising Cain. It was like maybe make it more obviously funny <laughs> because people won't know. They will have got all the way through. And I I was lucky to be like oh I finally finally clicked into what Brian De Palma was doing, but I could have come out of this furious with him making such a terrible film. Also, maybe put some likable characters in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, have them be charming or funny who, or who, who aren't the villain. <laughs> um, uh, Anthony, what about you? So you watched it in a slightly different order to us. Were you feeling like this is a parody from the get-go, or were you? What well, I mean, how what were you thinking as it played out? Because of the way it started, I didn't think it was a parody because it starts with um, his wife's story. So it starts with uh, like her in a clock shop um, buying oh a gift. Oh my god, it starts at the clock shop. Yeah, and god then... God uh, almighty. I would have turned <laughs> it off. <laughs> so then, yeah, it's us there. She bumps into like a mysterious guy from her past 
which is a little bit intriguing. I mean, it you know, it, but for the first five to ten minutes, it felt like a. It it did feel like a cheesy melodrama, because it was following her, um, and it, it. Um, it didn't have those elements in, um, but um, considering what I know now is what's supposed to be like the theatrical cut. I also feel like, you know, where's the worst for this bit? Is it worse to start here or is it worse to like give you something and then give you this nothing for a whole while? And you're just like scratching your head going like, no, go back to the good bits. I feel like the version you watched, even as as much as I disliked the the whole story with the wife and, and the... What was her character's name? Jenny? Or... Yes, you have to yeah, say it's... it like that. Jenny? <laughs> um, so the wife, Jenny, and Jack, the guy she's having the affair with, was I just found it insufferable. And the more I learned, the more you like are shown of them, the worse it gets. They kept trying to out-creep each other. Like, he he was creepy in the clock shop because he was all like, Hi, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you after this Yeah, hour. why is he acting like that? Well, <laughs> because the... No, because the... Sneaks into sorry. his hotel room to give him a clock while he's not there. <laughs> but and he... you're like, to a fucking psychos. Fair play. This is the thing. They are part of some romantic melodrama, like, affair storyline. And yeah. it was it was so fucking cheesy when they... Like, when they sneak off to the in the park and rendezvous and have sex in the open in, like, a bramble. Like, just a brambly <laughs> bit of the park next to where children are playing. And they're just, like, adults having sex. And yeah. easily spied on on really, top of court. Really like. loudly as well. Like, at least, at least try and, you know... Keep it contained. Don't make it so obvious. It's so Mills but, um, and Boone, but it was so, like it yeah. was so dumb and cheesy. You're like, what the hell is this? I was almost like, but, I was like grabbing Harry's leg. Like, what are we watching? Um, it like I can see the, more of the logic in having it be that because in that scene as well, whenever they're in the park, that's when you get your first glimpse that like, um, you know, you, uh, she sees what she doesn't realize is Kane. <laughs> it's Kane. That's gotta be Kane. And then all the trees explode into fire. Yeah, but you know, you see him grabbing the coat, and she. Just oh, that's back. the. And it, sorry, it, sorry. That's the other thing. Oh, let's go and have sex in the park. I'll just put a coat on a branch for some reason. Like what? Why do they put the coat on a branch? Put it on the ground and lie on it so you don't get grass up everywhere. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, like, it, that makes more sense. Like, having that escalation of while she's having this affair and you think that's what the story's going to be, other weird stuff is happening with her husband. Um, and yeah, the way it's presented in the theatrical cut, it is just, like, wild shit happening immediately with John Lithgow. And you're like... I'm a hundred percent on board with this. He chloroforms that woman in the car, and then his evil twin turns up with sunglasses on, smoking, with his hair slightly off to one side. And I was like, "Fuck yes, <laughs> this is brilliant." <laughs> what I, what I, what I, my first reaction to the opening scene, which because it comes out of nowhere, you don't have any context, you don't know who this woman is, you don't, you, you get the conversation provides some detail, like they were in a park. Powder in her face. But, he's, but he sets it up, and it it puts. I mean, do, watching it during a pandemic, you go, "It's really not on to sneeze in someone's car." But um, <laughs> but basically, he 
start set up by sneezing generally, and you're thinking, oh, what a prick, just sneezing really like near her, and that like, was just bad at any time. And then when when he just sneezes dust or whatever his special sand pocket sand he has, <laughs> his pocket sand. Um, oh my god. <laughs> So he basically like sneezes into a face so that I mean they're in a car. I mean, th- hang on, just I have more questions now. I think about it. So your plan, his plan is to kidnap a child to give to his father, a child psychologist and psychopath. Uh, that's your plan. So what you do is you chat someone up, or so, you you get in a situation yeah. off camera where you're getting a lift off of a woman with the kids. You wait till they fall asleep, and then you've. Pr- pr- you plan to sneeze in her eye and then chloroform her <laughs> without waking the like kids up. The, I like this idea that because we should establish his personalities. The main two that you're with through most of the film are Carter, which is like normal guy. Well, you say normal, but he's a creepiest. When well, he's being he's a still, nice guy, he's yeah. so uncomfortably creepy and and ugh, strange. I say, yeah, I say normal guy, but he himself is also actively kidnapping children for his father. But um, but he's doing it in a really sort of shit, disorganised way. Yes. And that's him. Like, he's kind of bumbling. He's trying to please his dad, but also worried about other stuff that he's doing. And then you have his other, his, like, evil side of his personality, which is Kane. Um, but, but um, it... And Kane is very... But he's also he's also a douche because he wears sunglasses and a leather jacket. It's a bit like Youth in it's like it's like uh, it's like fucking Michael Sarah in Youth in Revolt, where it's like, oh, I have a cool side of my personality. He was a bit of a dickhead, and that manifests in looking like a lame version of me. Yeah, yeah, he's still such a fucking well, and I think that's part of the idea and almost part of the joke, kind of, is that even though he's supposed to be the kind of tough guy part of his personality, he still just looks like someone's dad trying really hard to be cool. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, but the idea of that coming later makes more sense because then it would come, and I don't know if this is actually how it plays out, Anthony, but I imagine that happens after you're already kind of getting bored with the wife story and then suddenly John Lithgow is very clearly insane yeah and like the film just kind of propels itself off a cliff after that point and becomes much more interesting whereas what happens in the theatrical version is it's like do you remember in mario kart if you timed when you pressed the accelerator before the um the The light turned green you get like a boost so it's like it starts like that but you hadn't planned ahead and you immediately hit a corner and lose all your momentum. <laughs> yeah, in, in this case, the banana peel you've slipped on is very yes. much the boring clock buying and wife being a bit concerned about you bit. I cannot believe the the director's cut begins in the fucking clock shop, though. Well, yeah, well, I mean... Fucking clocks. Well, what we get, but... we, you're right. The, like, we start, we start with that boost, speed boost straight away of, like, wait, John, John Lithgow is a maniac. And it, it's, like, there's no sense. <laughs> there's no sense at the beginning that this isn't just his split personality. There's yeah. no... Oh, it's it's mm. not like Fight Club where you can't guess. Sorry, spoil Fight Club, sort of. But it's it's like, oh, 
he's imagining someone helping him, and that he's saying it's his twin brother, but it's obviously him because a he's invisible to joggers straight away, and b <laughs> he like is impossibly teleporting in a way. So the 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 way he does, he like bursts in through the window, the open window of the car, and is like, "You're a fucking dickhead!" Like murder the woman properly and kidnap the children. I'll, you're a prick, and I hate you, my brother. And I'll fucking do this properly. And then he's like, do you know, he's like, the, when the woman's knocked out because she's been chloroformed, and then. <laughs> And then, she's, and then the brother's like, uh, Kane's like, well, make out with her so the joggers don't get on to you. And then he has to pick her up and, like, a, a dead, a kind of knocked yeah. out open mouth he has to make out with. And the joggers are like, all right. <laughs> they, they, they basically go past and accept you go, you're accepting that people are just making out with their children sleeping in the back just to the side. Of the road. What? No. It's that kind of neighborhood. His wife's having sex in the park. That's true. They're just a really <laughs> horny town, I guess, yeah. Good point, Abby. But, but but and then and then we get the bit that was quite good, and I was like, "This is full Nicolas Cage." So the past that woman, they sort of swap suites. They're driving along. They're trying to get out of there because it's a panic. Uh, and then like Kane has the woman's knocked out head in a, in his lap, and he just yanks her up by her hair and makes fun of her and drops oh, yeah. her down. And it's like cats in the bag and the bags in the river. I'm so cool and sadistic. No, <laughs> you're not. And that is funny as fuck. Um, but yeah, he just but, basically they set up that anyway. The idea being this strange man who thinks he's his own brother and splits into two, basically has kidnapped a kidnapped and disposed of a woman's body possibly and stolen children. And then what we get, I don't know, it must have been a bit different in Anthony's version, but he basically, I think the idea is he's like, drop me off, I want to change into presumably the clothes you're already wearing. But like he goes home. Does Car- uh, Carter, but it's possibly still Kane because he starts groping up Kane. his wife in a really horny way, and that seems not fitting with how pussy ass Carter would behave. And then, yeah, he the, the they they think the daughter is crying, but she's actually asleep, and it's the kid in the car. Um, and then, it gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a, yeah, and I I I think. Part of that is on purpose that it's it, it tries to kind of mislead you as to what's happening several times in the film, and I think maybe because of the way the theatrical cut is arranged, it's more confusing than it needs to be. Oh yeah, definitely. It was it wasn't too bad in the beginning. I think probably when it commits, it's when the flashbacks and dreams start happening. Yes, and they do not delineate well. When it ends, it's okay to not know that the dream sequence has started to be disorientated, but you need to know when it ends so that you know that you're back where you started. I think the the problem is when you do that whole waking up from a dream, oh, it's a fake out, this is still a dream, repeatedly... (laughs) And you, you, you include you tell. include you include murders that didn't happen, and child witnesses that maybe were the character. It's like you. Oh God, I forgot. Yeah, the kid coming out of the bathroom and talking in the in Margot's voice. Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, there's lots of like throw you off the scent, but maybe it's the the surplus of wacky uh, thriller concepts that it's like De Palma's trying to dump in as many contrived, yeah. like the things that these thrillers 
do these Hallmark style movies where it's like, oh my god, I can't believe well, it's, this it's and I can't believe that, you know. It's Hitch- it's as Hitchcocky as possible. It's too cocky. Like, throwing it, but um, yeah, and this it does lead to like him taking the kid, and I don't know where this comes in Anthony's version, but it's one of my probably one of my two favorite scenes. The other one is the um taking the doctor around the hospital as she explains the whole plot. Mm. Um, but my other favorite scene is when we first meet Carter and Kane's father who is also played by John Lithgow but isn't a figment of his imagination. Oh, that's such a weird reveal, yeah. I know, but that scene is great because it is, and you know, I mentioned Sam Raimi a couple of times, it's that full, like, fucking Dutch angles. Yeah, we got the low, like, basically, yeah, it's like Kane goes to talk to his father, both John, like him, sorry? Paul Bearer. Oh, don't, don't don't confuse people with further wrestling references. <laughs> it's confusing enough, as we've already said. But yeah, he's like Kane is like being a bit of a prick and t- talking to the dad, and the dad is John Lithgow again, but an old grey-haired man like he oh, is in real makeup. life. But yeah, like he's got like wrinkly face makeup. But like yeah, they have those low angles as if to like show him as a pathetic child who's looking up to his father still. And you get, you get, you start to get into the say, oh, it's about like child psychology and father son trauma and things. So I appreciated how it was trying. It was a bit weird. It sort of took you out of it a little bit, the angles and stuff, you know? Well, I mean, it's a lot of the scenes where he's switching between personalities are done that way to give it that kind of disorienting effect. Yeah. Um, but it's just. John, seeing John Lithgow play off himself as he does two different cartoon characters is fantastic to watch. It's certainly a bit of fun, isn't it? Did everyone else enjoying John Lithgow be mental over and over again? I think oh. he was definitely the most yeah. sturdy performance going through. Like it didn't always nail it per se, but it was. I I felt we could rely on it to not waver too badly. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's the he's funny and creepy and baffling and like he's trying to. Re- you can really tell the characters apart without him doing much. Like obviously they have makeup on the dad, but the it's clear when he's who who he is when, even though that's could be quite confusing. The good example of that is it's much later on this in the film whenever he becomes Josh, the seven year old, and he does do a genuinely good job of acting like a scared seven year old. Um. And then also his transformation into Margot. It was uh, well. He... It was there wasn't much. It was mainly he makes no, an mean... odd hand gesture, and then Glasgow kisses the woman in the head. <laughs> no, but I mean his body language. Where he suddenly sits back and then does this like, pr- like upright, good <laughs> posture, looking down his nose at the doctor, and the, and the little like the finger, the like come closer finger thing that he does before he fucking yeah. headbutts her. I was like, I do give him like real credit for doing distinct personalities. Like he did, whether or not you like it, he did do five different distinct personalities in this film. Yeah, yeah, and he very does. He does all of the like physical requirements of like, like becoming someone else. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm thinking, thinking now, Anthony, you've played. I've seen you act as a child in a theater performance. How? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not evaluating your performance. 
but you know what it's like to try and like perform out of your own age. So what did, did you appreciate? Did you think there was like a high quality to him, or were you like, no, it's 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 as always as awkward as it should be? Oh no! Like uh, the part where he was being Josh, I was I was I was quite drawn in at that point. I'm like, I I I'm totally buying this guy as a seven year old boy. Um, it's kind of it's kind of testament to his range, I suppose, um, because he does. You know, he's he's uh, he's done a lot of different things. He's been bad guys. He's been good guys. He's been crazy guys. He's been normal guys. He's done comedies and like thrillers and stuff. And they all kind of come into play in this film a little bit, and it's great. Like for me, um, because it started off with the kind of romantic kind of uh, melodrama, and then suddenly to be, and especially as like he's he's very much in the periphery of of the beginning of like the director's cut. Like he is mentioned a few mm. times. Some of his behaviour is mentioned. I think something about his dad is mentioned, and you feel like something's coming. But you don't quite know what because you, they really don't focus on him. So it builds and to then, a crescendo in your version that we didn't yeah, get a crescendo. Makes, that makes yeah. so much more sense. So then the first like crazy thing he does is like um, smother his wife. Pretty um, crazy. Oh wow! And then That's it, the first thing. Yeah, and then it kind of flashes back to um, to the beginning of the of what you saw, and then he has the the scene in the car. And then it leads back up to the point where he's smothering his wife. And then the, I assume oh. the last third of the film is exactly the same for you. That works um, so much better. <laughs> like, so then it... to be like... Oh, fuck. To, so then to be just hit with it, like in uh, like a third of the way through the film, with John Lithgow just going crazy, knowing full well that something is going to happen is... is was just a, d- a delight, and like any interest that was like waning was like just all came back. Yeah. Where... One of the weird things that I noticed in the version we watched was that she suddenly has a voiceover twenty-five minutes into the film, so you don't know who the, who this film is about anymore. Yeah. Because we had it where it was Carter Kane, and then twenty-five minutes in, she's suddenly commentating on everything that's happening, and you're like, what the. F- going on and that's the thing it does make much more sense for it to start that way with her voiceover because it makes you think it's a different film like it builds into what you think it's going to be and then especially if it is suddenly him smothering her it's like oh fuck what's happening that makes so much more sense yeah because we don't know about the affair till like till midway through so we we're getting a story Ah. of like a creepy man who murders kidnaps children and murders women and is trying to have a normal relationship where he fucks his wife, but occasionally, to his wife's annoyance, looks after the child too much. Yeah, and, it, it, and you're like, he's a, he's okay. he's some sort of psychologist, but you're still like, wait, you've got a massive CCTV ch- camera. Phil, it's it's not just we've got a baby monitor. We are relaying a, a black and white monitor v- video tape of our child sleeping to our bedroom. So, so high maintenance. I don't know if it comes across better in the version that Anthony saw, but one of the things that, and I, I want to talk about the like the origins of the affair as well because like fuck it, it it's around here somewhere. And yeah, it's, fucking, it's infuriating. But yeah. so she talks about she's at, at one point she's in she's in the park and she's talking to her friend 
uh, yeah. about meeting Jack again. Yes. Uh, Jack, Jack, who looks like um, a, a creator wrestler in one of the Nintendo sixty four. Oh, he looked like he looked like every changes. He looked like every non character boyfriend in like sitcoms, yeah. like Friends or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. he's someone's partner at a party. Who, who cares? Yeah, his full name is Jack Original Zero One. <laughs> but um, um, she's talking about her frustrations with her husband, and she says about how, like, he he's like obsessed with their daughter, and it's almost like he's he's uh, observing her like a science experiment or something. Yeah. But we never get any indication of that. It just seems like he's really nice to his four-year-old daughter. Or yeah, he's, daughter. he's got a fucked up like, camera setup, but he is dolting and there. He's, he's almost like, oh, this fucking prick just gets to, I go to work and this bitch gets to be a little pussy mum boy. And it's yeah. like, just, Ugh, look at this guy, this gay lord spending time with his daughter. What a cuck. Like, yeah. that's how he comes across. To her and anyway, then, yeah. And then, uh, like... It gets even worse, and I'm just gonna fucking get into it because we we have this idea that they, her and Jack, have some kind of previous relationship. His wife died, and she, I guess, got married too quickly, and they almost had something, but then yeah. they didn't. She never got over him. Whatever that, all of that is kind of vague, and you don't like that's fine. You don't really need to go into it. But they do go into it, and you find out how their affair started. It's so stupid. Fucking, she was the doctor taking care of his cancer-riddled, dying wife. He was in a coma. And on New Year's Eve one year, I guess, (laughs) she decides to fucking make a move on him in front of his dying wife, who then wakes up right at the moment where he reciprocates and they start fucking copping off in front of her, she's lying there, eyes open, and then she fucking flatlines. The last thing she ever saw was this fucking doctor who's supposed to be helping her tongue in her husband. Yeah. Her her husband, who's clearly fucking broken by what's happening to him. So she's essentially just predatory and, like, (laughs) taking advantage of a vulnerable man in a like awful position clearly jamie you have not watched enough soap operas because this is the common goings on of every soap opera that That, that is soap 101 right there that shot of her lying there with her eyes open as they realize she can see them it's like Like she's gonna be the villain like she's maybe gonna possess but she's gonna possess someone or something but she just dies creepily with rigor mortis she just you know dies woman who has been dying of cancer, the last thing she ever sees is her husband yeah, him kissing someone else. And then then, then when she does ha- go into, like, uh, she has a cardiac arrest and the monitors go off, the husband's just bished and bashed by every, like, person yeah. in the emergency room. And it's like, mate, we, are we supposed to feel sorry for you? They're trying to save her and you're, like, looking traumatised. But you were just making out with the doctor a second ago. Like, you're, you're all dickheads. You're all dickheads. How after this? Do they carry on having an affair? Like, well, for one, yeah. How after? I don't know how. How did they? Because at the end of the film, they get together. Spoilers. Well, my wife's dead. I may as well. 
how do they ever like do like kiss or have sex or anything without him immediately seeing his wife's dying face with a big bug eyes staring at him? <laughs> Maybe but, that's like, what he gets off on. But, but um, they're monsters. How is the audience in any way supposed to sympathise with the wife after that? It's very, uh, very. It's what an she odd. Did was, what she did was fucking horrendous. Well, like, she's you do. The villain now. You do sympathise because at some point she's murdered and then she's not murdered and she's meant to be... It's weird that we have to take her as normal at the end of the film because it's like, wait, she, she, we felt sorry for her, I guess. How did she get out of the car? Yeah, it's just very... I mean, that's the... That, that's, ah, that's just I mean, like, so it, stupid. Like, you, you can't feel sympathy at the end even though she's been murdered because you, you're not even sure if she's real or not. Like, when she attacks John Lithgow, you're like, is he imagining this as a form of guilt? He's also arguing with his other self. It's quite confusing. That was one of the moments of misdirection that I liked. uh, When I didn't, I wasn't sure whether he was, like, hallucinating her or not. I'm still not Um, sure. Maybe maybe she is dead. We're better off. But, like, because they give them that scene in front of his wife, his dying wife, Mm. there's no... Sympathy like, at the end, you mean? Yeah, no, like whenever, um, like because after, because it reveals that, and then she, uh, he is as Kane drowns her in um, the car in the lake, and you're just like, good, fucker, <laughs> like, what, how are you supposed to, like, this poor guy who grew up with this hideous father who abused him into becoming five different people, yeah. four different people. And and now he's with this wife who did this awful thing to this man and is now having an affair with this man. And let's be honest, she's a shit mum who lets her kids wander off all the time. Terrible mother. It was like it was shades of uh, what was that? It was the Stephen King film we watched. Oh, Pet Cemetery, where it's like I'll just let my kid wander off. Kid run into the road. Fuck it. (laughs) Anyway, let's. uh, Anyone do anyone agree with Jamie that these are all awful people or God? Oh yes. Absolutely. No, they're not all awful people. Carter's a good guy. Well, he's not, because he, even though he's the good guy of the personalities, he's such a wet fart that he goes along and is bullied. He's, he's complicit in doing the action. So it's not like, don't make me. He literally does do it. Literally every single person in this film is a complete asshole. The no. retired cops an asshole. The other That's cops are assholes. The weird people at the motor lodge that are just endlessly oh, yeah. forwarding and backing a <laughs> with a big spiky thing on the back. Bottles are assholes. Her friends an asshole. Everyone is an asshole. Yeah. I forgot about. Uh, now that you mentioned like the cops, the detectives, I forgot about the scene where they're at the police station uh, with John Lithgow and like an old retired detective comes in. And they're just like, oh, what are you doing here? Get out. And then he just says something. It's like, okay, you're back on the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're really mean to him. And then they're yeah. like, great, old timer. Welcome back in. Like, you don't want to work with these guys. They're complete cock rings. <laughs> uh, the cops in this are presented like, we just want to solve the case. We'll stitch up whoever it takes. Look, we're not going to make this more complicated than it is. They're like, look, we saw it. The, the guy said he saw a kidnapper in a park. We've had, we we'll find the guy and that's it and he's to blame and it's like and then as soon as a psychologist turns up and goes oh actually this guy's crazy <laughs> and look there's a whole mad story about him and his he's a really unreliable person and he possibly 
connected to a dangerous maniac who did kidnap children. Look, lady, we're just going to stitch the guy up. We've got a witness. It doesn't matter. We're going to literally take the guy on his word and never investigate anything. Fuck it. We're cops. We don't do hard work and investigative <laughs> procedure at all. We just... People come in, they report a crime, we just fucking go with whatever's the easiest answer. So they, it is it's kind of a fuck you to the cops in this from Brian De Palma. But that's that's how kind of Hitchcock did it as well, so... You know. Oh, thinking about it now, I, I, I think I understand why they might have changed the the way they like presented it because the way that I saw it with um, it focusing on Jenny first it's psycho the film is psycho I mean literally the car murder where they get rid of the you know car in the lagoon or swamp or whatever yeah so like presenting it the way they did in the theatrical cut at least they're giving the twist of we're following the psychopath rather than the victim yeah, and you also you also get the false start of Psycho, where we spend a long time with a woman who it's not really about her life; it's about the maniac at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then you know that's it's probably good to mix it up a little bit, I guess, because you, you want to literally copy uh, Hitchcock. Um, we, 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 there's so many bits there. Obviously, we can't go through everything, you know, moment by moment. But uh, there are some big chunks. I feel like. That need dealing with. So, I got a question. Yeah, because because of all the weird dream within a dream. Did this happen? Did this not happen? Yeah. Did she swap? Did she leave the wrong gift in his apartment in in his <laughs> hotel room? In my I, notes, I, it I it says not. I tentatively say she didn't switch them. In my notes, because the idea is she. So her life is is as this. She this is, as far as as far as she's concerned, her life is. My husband's a bit of a cuck bitch. I wish he wouldn't be so loving of my child. Anyway, I'm gonna have an affair with uh, a woman I let die's husband, um, and I'll just buy him a clock, and I'll go to his hotel, and I'll wrap it up as a gift. And I'll leave a clock in the drawer. And then when he finds it, he'll, like, I don't know, sex me and we'll fuck. Also, like, I don't know what her day plan was other than to plant a cock in a, like, guy's room. And then who even I looks in it. who looks in the cupboard in a hotel room where, like, you haven't put anything in there. Why would you want a fucking Bible, do you? Why would you open the drawer? What was the she doing? Thing, the only thing listener needs to know is that, uh, what's his name? Jack, I'm going to say accidentally left his keys behind. So now she's got them. Yes. And she sneaks into his hotel room using those. Yes. But, but what, still creepy as fuck. Just wandering in, and then they she, he, she gets caught by him, and then they fuck, or whatever. Or, or the, I don't know. They they have Hallmark snuggles. Yeah, they snuggle up and imply affair. And, and But then she did or didn't switch the clock is confusing, and then does it even fucking matter? It's just a fucking stupid MacGuffin to get her 
involved with a thing. And then to do the fake out where did this happen? You just, I get you're meant to be a bit like confused and there's all these reveals, but you genuinely get lost at times. And then when you it just, it's that thing of you can't throw in murders that didn't happen, and then you're like, where do, did anything go on as we thought? Like what, what was happening? And then literally characters come along and spoil it all and go right. So there was a psychologist guy. He tortured, I think he tortured, I worked for him, he tortured his son to to force him to have multiple personalities so he could write a book about it. And now that man is somehow free and able to, he's still kidnapping children for his dad to do further, like, test subject experiments or something. Like, they need, like, later, like, a, a German scientist has already fucked up his own child and written a book about it. And then he needs more children to do as, like, control groups who he doesn't fuck with? Like, what's he planning to do with these children? Why aren't there an army of other children at different ages who've all been split into multiple fucked up people? You know? Anyone? I don't know. I'm not even sure I want to think about it. I guess just what was the scientist doing? <laughs> like, we don't actually... He just keeps them, and we don't really see how they're being kept. It's just they're kept but in a room in some apartment somewhere. All the children are very passive in this. They're just objects to be stolen and used as, like, uh, drama tokens. The idea is he's, like, a preeminent child psychologist and specialises in multiple personality disorder. But he did or didn't... He faked his own death at some point? And no one, like, went off a cliff? Yeah, well, he he was caught... With his whole plan of like deliberately raising children to have multiple personality disorder and then kidnapping other kids because he needed a like he'd done it with his own son, but he needed a control group. So weird. To, like properly, I mean, he's a scientist. He's just <laughs> happens to be a sociopath as well. The the idea is, you know, he needs a control group in order to properly verify the results that he's gotten and show that. You know, essentially prove his theories. Which um, which Ar- Arkham villain is he again? Yeah, <laughs> um, Hugo Strange, I think, is the closest. <laughs> um, but because he got the accent and everything. But um, so yeah, and then he was caught and then faked his own death, um, and is just living in a shit motel <laughs> <laughs> with children he could easily keep indoors, despite children. Having their own willpower and abilities. Yeah, because it's it's not like he is. It's not like he's actually having his having Carter or Kane kidnap like literal babies. Like they're sort of. Although at one point he, there is a. They do have a baby. They do have a baby in an early nineteen hundreds um, Tim Burton esque. Yeah. Uh, Penguin baby carriage. Well, it was a bit. It was reminiscent of the Untouchables, where the baby goes rolling down the steps. Oh yeah, I, I forgot. And that was another De Palma with uh, Sean Connery as the Scottish Irish American cop. Yeah. But, um, uh, so yeah, he has he has actual children who are like big enough to know how to like open doors and run away and call for help, um, yeah. who are also all clearly distressed. So it's not the it isn't the best plan. <laughs> Plus, you are relying on someone who doesn't know who they are all the time. <laughs> yes, you're 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 relying on someone who is severely mentally ill because of you. 
Yeah, but then he's mentally ill, I guess, is the is the yeah. solver to that. Like he's a he he's almost like a like it's it's never it's never said or even really hinted at, but he comes across very much as like a you know, one of the old kind of Nazi scientists who did experiments on children type of sure. character. He even, Mengler or even, someone. Yeah, he even dresses like uh that guy the the creepy Nazi from Raiders of the Lost Ark at one point. Um, it's it's also it's kind of weird because obviously when we watch it the first time you're thinking well this is just another personality yeah. of 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 Kane or Carter or whoever and then when it's not you're like but it is the actor what are you fucking talking but about but it is just this guy in old makeup I know <laughs> it's so it's so oh. bad and then they do the they do the fake out where like it's it's quite I'm not really at a point where that's going to make sense but basically you. you there's a point where you're like, wait, we know that John Lithgow is in a wig in a lift, but now we're seeing him here, but we're not showing the face of him wearing the wig as if that's going to be a reveal that it isn't uh, oh, who him. Could, who could this seven foot tall barefooted <laughs> woman be? And then the answer is, well, it is John Lithgow, but he isn't the same person this time. And it's like, oh, fucking hell. What are we talking they do, about? They do do a good job of setting up the idea that this other personality, Margot, is there to protect the children, which then makes what happens how fuck, make sense. How fucked up are these children where there's just a man with a wig on, <laughs> acting nice, but could potentially headbutt them at any time? All we know is she's a bit feminine, very tall, and headbutts people. I did... Um, that's not like she does it once. That's not her like. Finisher. That's how she disciplines the kids. If they're like, please, please, Margot, I just want to see my mummy again. Come here, you'll see your mummy. Shut up. So, um, I did have I did have a thought that I I wanted to see if I'm the only one uh, that had this whenever I was watching it and the bit towards the end. You know where I said that the doctor, Doctor Nix. Hi everybody. Hi, Doctor. Okay. Yeah. So, um, whenever, um, whenever he's there dressed in his like black trench coat with his hat and his glasses, um, he reminded me of a, a little bit of that one character in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and also a little bit of Christopher Lloyd in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah. And Judge then I too. thought, if they hadn't cast Christopher Lloyd in that role, John Lithgow would have done it as much justice as Christopher <laughs> Lloyd did. Um, yeah. It would have been, it would have, like, I would imagine Christopher Lloyd wouldn't needed, wouldn't have needed cartoon uh, graphics to make his eyes bulge out. <laughs> when I killed your brother! <laughs> it's just mental. So, I mean, yeah, it's fun to recast things. That's what, what I'm learning today. <laughs> the, basically, it's fun to recast things with John Lithgow. Yeah, true. Um... I, I don't know where like the the film is such a kind of muddled mess. At least the theatrical version is. Well, um, but, yeah. it's it's meant to be a pastiche of the endless reveals you get in thrillers yeah. and melodramas. So did, you know it's deliberately cluttered with confusion. I think. Did anyone else laugh? When they went down to the morgue, I also just before I forget, the, the, all the police station scenes are great. I really enjoyed all the like procedural stuff with these, like 
kind of you know typical schlubby cops hmm. um, who were just kind of sitting around making fun of each other, and the retired one who's just there because he's got fuck all else to do. Hmm. Um, but whenever they say they think they they've pulled up the car and they think they have the wife, and yeah. they go down to the morgue and they say something whatever, you should see the expression on her face. And then <laughs> I know. They back Amazing. <laughs> Ah oh, fuck! I just uh, and I don't, I don't even quite know why it's funny. Oh no, it's funny because it's deliberately ridiculous. Because she has like a shocked, screaming expression on her face, yeah. and it's just. I think that was one of the times Brian De Palma going right. I'm going to stop being subtle. This is funny. We're being silly now, but it yeah. still <laughs> is too subtle because you could watch it and go, "Well, that was crap," but I get what he wanted to do. Did anyone ever enjoy the reveal? Were you liking these silly faces? I'd forgotten about that reveal, but yes, it was. It, was, it made it worthwhile. It was one of the two laugh out loud moments I had in the film. The other one comes right at the end. <laughs> yeah. I think we all know where oh, yeah. what it's going to be. <laughs> Just what I was going to say is, at the end, it was all the same laugh as well, and that laugh is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all get that shocked face. That's that's the face the woman died with. <laughs> She's seen that. But one one scene I think that we need to talk about a little bit is so. I mean, without going into all the bits and bobs, John Lithgow kills his wife. What what's his motivation initially for killing his wife? Because she's she onto them. Because or is it just the affair. He's, yeah, he's found out that she's having an affair. Because he was he wants to like take his child to be an experiment mm-hmm. as well. Right. But also there's parallel and along with this, there's also he kidnaps a babysitter who he just meets and opportunistically is stealing the child she's looking after. Is that right? Well, it's... He knows people in the neighbourhood. I think it's only recently that he's been doing any of this so he's been essentially grooming a lot of these people mm. up until now. But he does murder a babysitter and dump her in a boot of his uh, love rival, I guess. Yes. Yeah, and, he sets up Jack. And she is dead because she doesn't come back and fight him off with a scalpel as well. She's just fucked because the police actually find her. As yes. opposed to the wife who we see being murdered, but apparently didn't get confirmation that she was dead because she makes a bloody return. And uh, what is Carter up to in his house when she comes in and he's freaking out? Uh, he's on the phone to his dad and they're talking about their nefarious plans. Also, but, I like that he calls his dad bouncy. But yeah, it's so funny and weird. But it's all, he's like, and at that point we're like, so is he talking to himself? Has he even got a phone? He's like, talking to his dad. He's also seeing his twin brother Kane and arguing with him. But, and trying, like he's tr- having an internal, is he just standing in his house having a mental internal battle? And even when his dead wife comes back, you're like, is this, this is a very elaborate mental argument this schizophrenia sufferer is having. Where he's just talking, arguing with himself, having talked to his his father, who you think is himself, and now his dead wife is fighting him. You know, if this isn't happening, he's fucked up beyond re- repair. Cain buried her alive, and then she came back like a ghost. <laughs> and to, it's 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 very close to a. Old WWF storyline, <laughs> <laughs> like all she good, like all own... good burials. People come yeah. back the next week as if nothing has happened. 
Yes. Also, apparently, a major sporting company is perfectly happy with one uh, performer burying the other one literally alive. <laughs> they yeah. have theoretically killed the three people in the last two months. Yes. I feel like the babysitter will come back at WrestleMania and betray the wife and join forces with <laughs> with Kane. <laughs> and just, I didn't expect this. Or you'd think she'd want revenge on him, but no. She hits him with a steel chair. No, she's betrayed him. He's going to win the WWE title. <laughs> anyway, yes, it definitely could be a wrestling storyline as well. That, again, soap opera, very high drama. Yes, exactly. Um, but no, uh, the film... So, at this point, the film goes, right, the wife is alive again and covered in blood. And it's not a guilt thing. She's actually there. We're not going to bother with a scene where, like, the police are outside and knocking because they're, like, looking they're, for him. Yeah, they're like, no, she got out of the car. How? Don't worry about it. Don't worry. She had a back door key and just thought, I'll take this scalpel and just fuck him up. And then, I guess the police come in and go, look, get off. Also, wash and sober up and be normal now. We're going to need you to be sympathetic for the final yeah, she's, scene. she's immediately immaculate in the next scene. It's and, weird. And you don't know, and you're like, wait. And they, they just then start explaining everything, because it does need explaining. But it's literally like... I mean, earlier on in the film, John Lithgow as Carter went to report that someone had been kidnapped or something. Like, he was... He conven- kid- yeah. So he'd grasped himself up, not knowing. No, no, no. He was he was setting up Jack. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, because he knew that the corpse was there, mm-hmm. and he was giving the he was getting the little photo fit picture. Yeah, that's. And that's right. where they bring the angry old uh, doctor in. Doctor Waldheim is her grumpy, name. Grumpy, less angry. Just yeah. yeah doctor Exposition very... with her. Yes. With her. With her, I love the way they mentioned the fact that. He's like, oh, this wig makes me look like a transvestite. Yeah. A transvestite. A transvestite. It's brown, even though I should have grey hair. Okay, thanks for... I wouldn't have noticed, but okay, you do look weird. Now you mention it, you're too old for it. But I I did like that they set that up, because it was so convenient later. My favourite part... So, yeah, this is... um, She puts him under hypnosis to bring out other personalities just to, it we just get... we cut to the chase and we go right there yeah. was a doctor he had he made his son have multiple personalities i'm now going to sit down with him and talk to those multiple personalities so john lithgow can be creepy as a child creepy as a woman and then escape like it's literally also, let's just I'm dump it all this, out now <laughs> i'm gonna do this completely alone in a room without any police station there's, there's a no guard police. the guard's outside he's, but he's fallen asleep yeah oh no um but it's yeah, and this is where we get Margot, who m- may be my favourite of the personalities. We don't see enough of Margot. Yeah, but before before that, Anthony, it, it had the the plot must have caught up to all that. With this end sequence, must have been the same for you. What would where were you at in terms of emotionally and narratively by the time we got to the bit we all got as the same ending? Where would it have happened? Um, I suppose the part where he like dumps his wife is where we. Would have um, lined up again. Yeah, when the wife uh, starts fighting uh, back and the police turn up, that must have been the same as us. Hmm. Well, it it that's the thing with the way that it was presented. It like it did, it did do like a flip flop because like at the beginning, um, it it does try and um, make you sympathise with the woman a little bit, but then. Is she's doing kind of terrible things, and you don't really know anything about Jonathan's character, 
So then you're like, well, she's being a bitch now. Why would I care about her? And then they do like the bait and switch where she's presumably killed. Hmm. And then it's like, oh, actually, John Lithgow's a terrible person. No wonder she wants to go and bonk handsome guy. Um, bonk. <laughs> <laughs> but then John Lithgow is putting in such a an all-out performance that you can't help but just be with him, if you know yeah. what I mean. He's the most likable character in the film. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they do try and say, look, he is the victim here. Yes, yeah. he's abducted children. Yes, he's murdered people. But it's because his father, who isn't him, if you it can is... believe that, is fucking, is the for... true monster that's created for when him. It, for when the film came out and how it portrays uh, mental illness, <laughs> I did appreciate the fact that they didn't just make him like the monster of the film. They did like say, no, he is like he's a victim of horrendous abuse. That's why he's like this. Yeah, this um, could be dark if it wasn't so funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, also like it's such a it's such a weird topic because like multiple personality disorder is already like very controversial as to like a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of debate as to whether it even exists. Um, and I think it's like a, less than a hundred cases of the like recorded that are accepted as like legit cases of. Well, it's very much personality it's disorder. movie. So, it's movie schizophrenia or p- multiple personality disorder. It's. I was going to say schizophrenia you know, is not the same thing. No, but like this, the idea that layman people like myself, yeah. anyone, people who come out, like you come across it. I mean, I studied a bit of psychology, so you know, I understand the real world is different to how psychology interprets characters in movies. And it's it's more fun to roll with the idea that you flick between different minds yeah. and personalities. It's mental illness. It's like, yeah. it's like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck holding up the sign with the screw and the baseball on it. Yeah, it's like, it's not, it's it's like silly thriller logic, rather than, it's not trying to say anything about mental illness. It's not trying to really... It's not trying to portray people in a different light. It's very much giving a stigma to people who have mental issues <laughs> and it's saying like... they're wacky transvestite murderer, kidnapper, freaks, you know. Yes. Uh, and it's also John Lithgow playing someone as mental illness as uh, several members of Batman's rogues gallery from <laughs> yeah. the 60s version of, the, of <laughs> Batman. <laughs> So it, it it is saying, oh, poor fucking uh, Carter or Josh or whatever the real fucking guy is. So we see, you know, as you say, Jamie, you liked the Margot character. Like, I loved Margot. How do, how do you, like, he, they're trying to explain it as like, oh, so this doctor broke him into having new personalities. It's like, so what do you do to get someone to have the personality of well, a woman babysitter? It also, it also sounds like, uh, and this is something that kind of, Thankfully, really, the film doesn't really go that heavily into, which is good because it could get very dark. Um, is what there's one moment where Dr. Waldheim is explaining it, and she explains it in I can't remember exactly what she says, but it sounds like he essentially 
experimented with different forms of abuse to see what, <laughs> what different was he doing? personalities What was he doing? Hurt? Your, man, uh, your imagination could just run wild Whoa. with what kind of torture chamber <laughs> yeah. he must have had. I was just going to say, I'm glad the film doesn't elaborate on that idea. The, the last sequence is the important one, because it's directorially quite interesting, and it's also quite a confusing climax. And at the very, very end of the little, ha-ha, this is the, another bit of Easter eggy nonsense for you to think about before you go home to your beds or whatever. Like, basically, I guess, we get the bit where mid, kind of, um, like, being questioned by this doctor, uh, we go through the personality of Josh, the kid, then it's Margot, and Margot headbutts her way out of the situation, and then... Lithgow passes out again and then becomes a new character, presumably Kane. Or is he being Margot again? What did you guys think? No, he's he stays yeah. Margot, I think. Yeah, I think that was deliberately done to like throw you off because you don't quite know what's going to happen now. But I, he, I, he, he must stay as Margot because of what he does at the end. So he conveniently has a wig available now because he's. Uh, nutted it off this woman and he basically steals her clothes a bit and leaves her ditched in the police station and sneaks out uh, the police station rather easily but his uh, wife sees him and she pursues and the police pursue and it's basically a big drawn out chase like it's not ch- well they chase back to like the hotel and there's a lift and there's staircases and the police are surrounding the place and then the the german scientist dad is there and there's a whole fucking oh what's going on and the children and the baby and you know <laughs> guns brandished and and literally we get like the setup of a truck moving with a spike on the back of it because they're just backing up but it's all playing out like this is gonna be the best high drama madness ever and then we get guns drawn, babies dropped off balconies, spikes nearly uh, lancing boyfriends as they try and catch, cops missing catches, rainfall. I mean, it's a hell of an ending sequence, is what I'm saying. Okay, I can only imagine how satisfying it is in the director's cut version, <laughs> because it's all, like, that momentum is built up to that ending. Abby, I recall you being quite impressed with how we got to this End sequence, is that right? Mm. <laughs> Not in, I obviously <laughs> misremembered. I personally, I was impressed with how all the little bits kind of culminated in this one kind of slow motion, um, little tense scene at the end, and how it was they kept kind of like lapping up so much more on top of it that it was just kind of like so ridiculous and yet still tense enough. To to be to enjoy it, like Abby, um, I I distinctly Abby remember you laughing when they when they were reversing the truck with a spike and they set that up. You were like, you were laughing at that because you were impressed when in fact <laughs> amused. Yeah, that you had ratcheted it up so far. We were enjoying the joke of it, and at this point, it climaxed into the most impossibly overly melodramatic conclusion. You know. Yes. That is correct. You, it was your your choice of words. <laughs> yeah, impressed is generous. I feel. Yeah, well, I just uh, I there were positives to it being so stupid. Is all. It was a shame that Jack wasn't impaled on the sundial. Uh, maybe even well, if uh, all the cops and the child and all of them could have been impaled, and it wouldn't have been enough. 
to make it. But true justice would have been everyone in the film died because they were terrible. <laughs> but the gun uh, is knocked or falls out. Uh, like, they're basically... Uh, the Margo or Carter, as a transvestite, decides to woman up or man up and st- and finally save the children that they've been torturing. It's yeah, it's Margo who somehow passes for this tiny German woman, <laughs> or just some woman who has the one of the children or something. She she's been keeping it quiet in the lift, and she jumps out and stabs her dad, or the the dad. And then yeah. he drops the gun. The gun sh- bullet goes off and shoots the point on the back of the truck that could stab the child and stop the the boyfriend or affair, Jack, basically catching the child. And then everyone's like wrapped up and arrested. Or well, no, the cops. Like we move in and we've got cool p- pa- panning shots from De Palma showing it all in the staircases and baby strollers and the p- cops coming around corners and it, it does a nice job of like showing this area of the apartments and then it's just look we arrested them all happy endings no one had to die anymore so you know it wrapped up and then just let 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 us have a little bit of a oh the mum is fine and had the went with this prick they had an affair and yes the dead wife the dead wife is gone and her husband will live happily with this woman whose husband was crazy and then the bit that everyone really enjoyed at the end. They also they they do this thing with the kid where they put in a little red coat, so it's like don't look now. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. when she's running away again, and she's hearing Carter's voice, you think it's going to be something horrible, and then the mum's just like, oh, running off again, you little bastard. Yeah. Again, just a testament to how shit this woman is. The the kid is. She looks up and the kid's running off into the forest in the middle of this park where they had sex before as well yes great i i would it would have been kind of cool if she had turned a child around and it was a uh dwarf and she was the nutcase all along no it was john lithgow in disguise (laughs) wouldn't know where the fuck we were um no she the the kid runs off and like that's a three-year-old and she's just like oh amy and she was just walks around like your your child was disappeared into the into a forest. It's because John Lithgow is the the parent that looked after her. Like what, he was so it's loving true. and doting, she's so used to being a bitch and not caring. But yeah, what what? Like, secretly, she actually wants her kid to get abducted. She never wanted to have children. <laughs> but she regrets it deeply. Really comes across like that. For most of the... Yeah, and. Uh... Yeah, and then the kid's like, oh, mummy, I saw daddy. <laughs> of course not. Daddy was not arrested, but got away scot-free. There's no way he'd be here in the park trying to abduct you again. <laughs> the park where all of this kind of started. He definitely doesn't have this as like a, a place that is significant. We're also going to the same park where all this shit went down. My my current boyfriend nearly got stitched up for murder, and we know the vic- <laughs> like a babysitter was murdered. And uh, I mean, leave the I fucking park be- alone, isn't it? I'd leave the fucking state. Yeah. <laughs> she should be more worried as well. Her husband, who is crazy and about four different people, is still on the loose. You'd think she'd be in witness protection or something. Nah, fuck it. Just leave the troubled man out there. Well, he's not a man. That's the thing. That's the last parting uh, magic. We, yeah, it just... 
what I described as hyacinth bouquet's evil twin. Uh, well, I don't know. I think John Lithgow is a little more. I think he pulls off the. Fe- I mean, I'm just going to backhandedly insult a very good actress, but so <laughs> yeah, a very uh, large, dapper woman, a very imposing, well-dressed woman. But lovely them. brown hair is there. Looks a little bit like John Lithgow, but as this universe is established, that could just be a woman. There's a, the father wasn't John Lithgow. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Maybe this is just. Uh, I'll say unfortunate, a, a happy trans woman was just in the park, and it looked like her dad, so she was like, daddy was just here. But I then she also teleports away, just as they, like, behind the mum's back as well, it sort of doesn't make sense. bring it back to wrestling again, teleports away, just like the, under, the Undertaker and Kane used to do back in the day. Yeah, like, what would be the follow-up to this? Like, Kane is, like, now on the loose, and is trying to kidnap his daughter uh, back like what I think it would go on that he would become um mayor of a town in Kentucky I just Mayoress. Mayoress, sorry thank you <laughs> <laughs> libertarian mayoress John Lithgow <laughs> Kane oh god reality and this film and wrestling are very weird they're all mm. kind of verging I I think oh, it's baffling I loved how long it made you wait for yes. the reveal because it was coming yeah once once you know like um he's got like split personalities and then there's definitely like a woman's name thrown in at some point you hear the name margo and we and know then, there's a wig coming up so yep. yeah and then and then it, it it gives you so little like it teases you all the way in the last third and it's like Oh, here's him from the back with a wig on. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're really close now, but he's got a thing in front of his face. When are we going to see it? When are we going to see it? And it, it keeps it from you right until the last second of the film when you think it's gone. Makeup <laughs> and everything. Because I was like, once I'd figured it out, it's like, if I don't see John Lithgow dressed in drag by the end of this film, I will not be happy. And it like, was worth it. My, the doubts were there, but then yeah. it did come, and there was an, I had to give a little bit, bit of a cheer at the end. It did. <laughs> So tall and so obvious. Like he's just as a person, not wearing women's clothes. Just he's he's such a masculine-looking man in a way. Hey, no, no gender shaming. I'm not. (laughs) Sorry, you're you're right. He's 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 peculiar-looking man. Nine foot tall. He's one of the most distinctive-looking actors. He's also growing in Jamie's mind. (laughs) He's getting even taller. (laughs) Yes. I know. By the end, he's just a fucking Seven. Godzilla transvestite. <laughs> uh, Rick, R- Kane raising buildings in front of him. <laughs> Must kidnap little people. Ah, they're all little. Nah. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> getting carried away. Uh, I guess this just leaves our final thoughts. Uh, a metaphor, if you dare. The best metaphor I can come up with is when you, when Rich got me to buy the particular glasses that I'm wearing. They're sort of weirdly 50s, and they've got this sort of yellow sort of burst on the side when they're black all over otherwise. We put them on the first time, because we were like, oh, try these on, these are mental. Put them on. Then we tried all the other glasses, and then we went, actually, that first pair was pretty good. (laughs) And we went back to them. And it was just that thing of, 
I put on the glasses and I was like, no, this is too weird and too strange. And then that second time, it's just like, it's like I got them. Like, I understood the glasses when I put them on the second time. I was like, yes, I'm in. I commit. <laughs> what, what started as a joke suddenly became quite good. Whereas I think this might be the other way around. Well, what started as trash became a joke and was worth it. That's what I mean. It was like, there was just definitely that. I'm not sure when it was for me, but there was definitely a tipping point where you realised, oh, it's funny. Yeah, mm. I'd say if people want to imagine, if people want to imagine Abby's glasses, I would say I think the Slug Woman monster in Monsters Inc. has a pair of glasses that are a bit like Abby's. <laughs> no judgment on you, the person who you are, Abby. Just saying. I'm a librarian. Well, I'm not a librarian. No, a slug but I have the spirit though. of a librarian. <laughs> I've been a librarian. I've when it, well, well, it's not a librarian contest, guys, so never mind. Um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> librarian contest, go! I'm the most librarian. Second most librarian? Uh, Abby, oh. Anthony's read some books. Yeah. Mm, Jamie, illiterate, <laughs> so... You lose. <laughs> uh, I think that's I think that's fine, as, as uh, a reaction goes, Abby. Is there nothing else you want to bring up or mention? Oh, let me have a quick look at my notes. No, we covered the powder attack in the car, woman in the trunk, the clock shop, the sneaking into the home room, the fucking in the woods, the 25-minute-in voiceover, possible flashback romance, the use of dreams, split personality, slashing, drowning in the car, retired cop, knife attack ghost, not dead. I had to, when I, I redrafted my notes, when I got knife attack ghost, I was like, what? <laughs> Technically didn't happen, but only, we didn't know that at the yeah. time. I kind of wish all of the uh, plot summaries on IMDb were formatted like those notes. At a slate blow off at the Motor Lodge, back in the park, Malgarville. Nope, covered everything. Good. Good. I mean, the, I, it's, I feel it's odd, but of all those notes, I was like, oh yeah, that bit annoys me, that bit's weird, that bit's funny. Oh, I all kind of love uh, Kane every time we see him smoking and being a dickhead. And then I was like, actually, the thing that winds me up the most is those fucking clocks. <laughs> like, fucking, yeah. why are you fucking buying them? What are you doing with them? Who has an affair and buys people clocks? Who gets confused about it? I'm still upset about the clocks. <laughs> <laughs> fucking bullshit. Um, but anyway, uh, Anthony, yourself, what do you think, metaphor-wise? Hmm. Because you have to see it like in the lens of it being tongue in cheek and a bit of like a parody, uh, a bit of like a comedy kind of kind of thing going on. It's kind of like three um, D glasses. Like you can watch a three D film, um, and you know you can still make out what's happening. It just looks a bit fuzzy. Oh, with well, them, you, you mean? Yeah, but once you've put the three D glasses on, which are Seeing it through the like the lens as like a tongue-in-cheek parody, yes. then you it becomes a lot more. You get all the dimensions, and it becomes a lot more wonderful. Oh, it's a comedy! Oh, <laughs> all right, you two, Anthony and I have both done glasses metaphors. So <laughs> now you have to do glasses metaphors. So, you're, Anthony, oh, you're, you're, you're Anthony, you're saying basically, once you were wearing the three D glasses and. The red of thriller met the green of comedy. It all made sense and jutted out at you and was was acceptable. Yes, but but if you if you're not wearing those glasses, 
I can imagine you being quite frustrated with the film. A lot of grabbing the top of your nose and going, what the fuck is happening to my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. It's very good. Um, I literally don't have a glass metaphor, so I don't know how this is going to work. Jimmy, <laughs> do, Jimmy, do you have a eyewear uh, metaphor? Uh, no, I already had my metaphor ready, and I'm trying to figure out if I can twist it into glasses. But it was, we've brought up... Um, wrestling several times mainly because of the name Kane also um, you brought up wrestling several times it did not spelt the same just for clarity it's spelt like the fake name Michael Kane Look, so it's know. not oh it's not it's, the no. other, it's another kind of Kane <laughs> Jesus Christ like, um, is it Sugar Kane? which Kane is this? it's not that <laughs> it's Kane like Bible Kane which so, I think so, Not that I've read that recently. This is wrestling this, is my bible. K A N E. But, the, <laughs> but, but this Kane, the Kane thing. Does anyone actually know the myth of Kane about his three faces or personalities or something? Oh, shut up. No, but so, do, does anyone know about it? Does it? <laughs> do anyone? Because I didn't understand what that. I didn't understand the reference or know what the story is. Why would any of us? I don't know, maybe it's like really famous. Like I know about fucking Jonah and Noah and what they got up to. I don't know who Kane is. Well if you don't know, how will we? What do you mean if I do? I'm not a priest, am I? <laughs> the only thing I know is there was Abel and Cain. There was some kind of prophecy and Their dad Cain gave them a colourful Oh. it's not the one about the magical court of dreams. That's Joseph. Ah, no. no. Cain no, there's two which one got hit by a giant whale and then made a big wooden boat to escape? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and w- when did Jesus turn the boys into donkeys? <laughs> anyway, but okay. Bible shit aside, Jamie, go on. All of that you just said is my metaphor. Oh, well, it's certainly <laughs> yeah, as con- it's as confusing as the film is. I mean, I was just going to say it is like it plays out like a wrestling storyline does over a number of months. The longer because it goes on, the less sense it makes. And also, for, sometimes for a couple of weeks, the story just becomes really boring until something mental happens because, like, Vince McMahon is mental and all yeah. of, like, stories will just change gears midway through characters, or they'll just drop things. Characters turn heel or babyface. Everyone's like, wait, so is that little boy real? Or did he get to, like, <laughs> no, we've kind of left the, part, the weird talking child who witnessed a crime. Oh, that was him? Like, you could have on it with wrestling. Like, using the name, like, using Kane and Undertaker references is also, like, it's a good one because the characters change so much. And the fact that they're still portrayed as brothers, even though everyone at this point has gone, ah, fuck it. Like, we, we all know it's nonsense. Yeah, he's got a burned face. Now he doesn't. He put the mask back on, he has a wig, and he's the mayor. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that whole fucking balls out of the bath, everything goes everywhere kind of um, storytelling. Balls out of I've the bath? Never heard the, yeah, I've never heard the phrase balls out of the bath, but it may be my new favourite phrase. I'm in. <laughs> the only glasses thing I could think of is all those ugly sunglasses that Randy Savage used to wear, but I can't tie it in. <laughs> well done for thinking of something. Randy Savage is glasses because wrestling. Yes. Uh, I, have, I don't have glasses. I mean, I do have... I'm literally wearing glasses now. But, oh, and that brings me neatly on to my metaphor. It's like when I tell a story sarcastically 
and people think I'm being genuine. And a few people go away going, that rich guy's weird, isn't he? What was he on about? <laughs> and then for the people who get it, suddenly the penny drops about halfway through and they're like, oh, it's quite weird and funny. I see what you did there. But there is that danger with the Brian De Palma's movie where you go, I didn't see what you did there. That was terrible. What an awful person. <laughs> and also, I sometimes get that. It also has the uh, the kind of rambling nonsensical structure. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. No, it's definitely just the kind of mad story where there is a chance it'll be taken straightforwardly. But as long as you understand, as long as you're in on the joke, it's fucking hilarious. That's it's it. It doesn't matter how like I what by at the end I was like, oh that was genius, and I was thinking back on it, going I loved everything because it was so melodramatic. Once you get the coda for like, oh it's a comedy, everything was in it was deliberately melodramatic, deliberately pretentious schmaltzy TV movie, deliberately overly Hitchcocky. You know it was just. He was Brian De Palma was having fun with the genre, and still being quite a competent director. And John Lithgow was just fucking going crazy and having fun. So I liked the joke by the end, but at first I wasn't sure it was a joke. So yeah, and also I wear glasses, so clever me, ha. Anyway, it's time to say goodbye, all four of us. And by four of us, I mean all of my personalities. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Last one's a party animal. Yeah, holy shit. When's that rich come out? Am I right, guys? Last ones were were in a toga. Let's do shots and play beer pong. No. That's the least sincere you've ever sounded. That was was sarcastic me pretending to be party me. Party me does not come out very often. Anyway, say goodbye, you pricks. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Pocket sand. Oh, I love that (laughs) the reference though. It was weird. He did. He didn't technically necessarily get it out of his pocket, but it was the same thing. I can't believe I didn't think of that when I was watching it. Oh dear.